1: This is the Busted Open Podcast.
2: You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on SiriusXM Fight Nation Channel 156.
1: Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. On today's show, WWE Hall of Famer, TNA Hall of Famer, bully ray and i talk all about gcw sold out last night on fight tv at the hammerstein ballroom we talked to lenny leonard who did the play-by-play awesome interview with lenny that you're going to want to hear and somebody who is in the audience our very good friend sam roberts right now on the busted open podcast One and only, Lenny Leonard. Lenny, good morning to you.
3: Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for coming on, because I know that was definitely a long night last night, so appreciate the time this morning.
3: Uh, It's a long weekend. I had the Hall of Fame induction ceremony the night before, too, and after that was over, we all went out and uh, went to Spark Steakhouse looking for Paul Castellano and uh, had a a very big meal and uh, drank a lot of wine, so it's been a long weekend. (laughs) Good for you.
4: Lenny, one of the questions that I had for you about last night's show, me and Dave were talking earlier, was about the music. GCW used a lot of original music last night. There was Journey, and then there was Anthrax, Sandman, and then you know Elton John. I'm not sure if you know or not, but did did they go about it, you know, quote unquote, the right way, or did they did they ECW wing it and just see yeah. what
3: happens? Th- th- those are questions that I best leave unasked okay. so I don't so I have plausible deniability if anybody did ever ask me so I honestly I, I don't know
4: <laughs> but, but I'm sure using that real music as we probably all know here lent a, 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 a lot of energy and vibe to that crowd because yeah. you can't beat real music
3: no it's it's a huge aspect of uh, a, a character's identification with the fans like when that first chord hits and the they know who's coming out. It makes all the difference in the world. And especially when it's a song that everyone knows, right? When you hear journey or Elton John, like you said, or, you know, Enter Sandman, everyone right away knew, Oh, this is something big's coming. I know who's coming and You can kind of feel the energy in the crowd at that point really raise.
1: But let's get into the energy level. Um, you know, GCW selling out that building, Lenny before a match was even announced, which is such a great, you know, feat unto itself, but just getting that vibe. And, you know, there's a lot of people, maybe sometimes me that talks about pro wrestling in 2022, where, you know, like a Monday night, raw, a lot of people are kind of sitting on their hands and you don't see a lot of excitement in in the crowd or a vibe to a crowd. That was definitely not the case at Hammerstein last night.
3: No. And I've been in that building for shows before. And uh, it was, it was as, Great a vibe in the building as any other show I'd ever been in there before. Uh, I was there for the first time. Ring of Honor did a pay-per-view from that building. Uh, and it you could just feel like a palpable tension in the air. And from the minute the doors opened, it was just a very exciting vibe in the building. And I think that's a testament to what Brett and his team have done over the last couple of years is, you know, being able to make that move to this building and sell it out with no matches announced other than the seven or eight regulars that are on the shows that you knew were going to be there uh brett really has done a good job of getting his finger on the pulse of indie wrestling and giving people what they want
4: lenny i'm not sure which announcer had mentioned this last night it might have been you but i know there was a bunch of guys coming in and out on commentary talked about how it was the largest uh crowd for pro wrestling in the hammerstein now is that something that was just kind of thrown out there, a little smoke and mirrors, or was it was it legit? And how 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 do we know it is as legit as was said?
3: It, it is it is an absolute fact. I did mention it. Brett had told me that when they went to talk to the folks at the building and they were walking through how to best configure it for the most people, because Brett was confident they were going to pack the building. He had no doubt in his mind they were going to sell it out. He wanted to know how exactly how many people can we legally get in this place without getting in trouble. And they showed him the previous configurations. And and I don't remember the exact number. I want to say it was maybe a hundred more people, uh, but they were able to kind of configure some stuff around where David, I heard said earlier, uh, you saw people where you don't normally see them in that building. uh, And they they were able to beat the number. So it's legit.
1: Yeah. and, And, and I could tell from TV and we gave kudos to Lenny to GCW like, it's it's obviously a different style of pro wrestling. It's completely, a lot of, it's very, very raw. And they still were raw. And they still had, you know, enough of the shenanigans that the fan base wants to see. But knowing that there was going to be new eyes on that product, the production pieces, the packages, uh, the way the show opened, like we talked about earlier with Ali Catch and Ruby Soho, uh, you know, they did a tremendous job without you know, without jeopardizing their credibility with the in-ring product to, to do something that was produced and well put together.
3: Yeah, a lot of that credit goes to Giancarlo Didimo. He, uh, he was a driving force creatively in CZW for a long time. And then when uh, Brett made the move to start GCW, Giancarlo came with him. And, like, he's the one who produces all of those vignettes. So the one that they did for Ruby Soho originally uh, when she left WWE and nobody knew where she was going and they did those runaway vignettes, that was Giancarlo. Um, he's, the, he's the genius behind all of that. And he was in WWE for a while and then was let go and came back. Um, and I don't know if anybody noticed, but if you watch the two videos, the one of Allie Catch and of Ruby frame by frame, it literally told the story of Allie going everywhere Ruby had been until she ended up in front of that Soho sign where then the light bulb went off that she's been chasing Ruby Soho uh, her entire career. And now this was the time she finally got to have that match.
4: Uh, That was one of the standout uh, pieces last night but I did not catch that and I'm glad you pointed it out because now I want to go back and watch it again because that I, I'm a huge fan of storytelling and be, to be able to tell a story within the vignettes and packages I really like. Bit of a two part question here Lenny. We're all about the same age probably grew up on the same style of wrestling. You've called a, a lot of stuff throughout the years First part of the question is the GCW product something that you are a fan of it. is it your cup of tea?
3: So I didn't grow up with, you know, the death match stuff. Yeah, you and I are the same age. In fact, I I played high school baseball with a sorority brother of yours, Rob Figueroa, when you guys went to St. John's So, are you uh, trying to
4: say that we were in a sorority and not a fraternity?
3: Oh yeah, I said sorority, I didn't <laughs> fraternity. My bad. <laughs> I told you it's been a long weekend. Uh, yeah, your fraternity brothers. <laughs> My bad. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, we are the same age. We both grew up here in New York. So, you know, obviously grew up watching WWE my whole life and then uh, came across Florida championship wrestling in my, uh, you know, early teens and stuff like that. So and but I was a fan of ECW uh, as in my 20s. And so I appreciate that that style of wrestling. My my bread and butter has always been the pure sport presentation of it. Um, that's what I did with Ring of Honor. That's what I did with Evolve. Um, but I can get into the excitement and stuff uh, of the deathmatch stuff because th- there is an art to it. And there are guys like Matt Tremont and Alex Colon who are really very good at still being able to tell great stories in that medium. And I think I even mentioned during Tremont's intro that you know, he is a deathmatch artist, he took that style to another level. Um, So not my bread and butter, but you know, that's what makes wrestling great, right? You can't have 10 of the same matches on the show. You need a little bit of something for everyone. And that, that's another thing that Brett does really well. You've got, you know, the crazy Lucha six mans, like you used to see on nitro uh, back in the day, you've got the hardcore stuff. You've got, you were supposed to get the pure wrestling with Jonathan Gresham. He was unable to make it. um, So that kind of changed things up a bit, but, Brett really tries to give a little bit of something for everyone
4: so and the second part of the question being it's not that you're bread and butter as you stated does it make it more of a challenge for you to call the match tell the story because you're you're not as in tune with it maybe
3: No no I, I don't think so I because I, I think at the end of the day the, the job is call what you see right and just paint that kind of a picture for the for the fans and in that kind of a match the story is usually, you know, the pain and suffering of someone uh, that's going through what they're going through. And you don't get that in New York. Like we, I know you talked about earlier, the commission like very, very strict with what you can do. Um, I know a lot of people probably went <clears throat> when they saw the pizza cutter come out uh, getting thrown in the gauge. Cause th- honestly in New York, there's no way you're gonna be able to get away with using that. Uh, no tables, no light tubes. You can't go into the crowd. Like there's so many no's that you have to kind of work around Uh, that I think they did about as good a job as they could using what was available to them to tell the story they wanted to tell. Unfortunately, and and Jay Briscoe said this on Twitter last night, uh, you know, time constraints made it difficult. A couple of things went a little long earlier in the show, and I I don't think that those guys got the time they really wanted to be able to tell the whole story. Um, But it did end well at the end with the crowd going going home happy, which is what you want, right?
1: And the one thing that was kind of like so glaring to me when I first started watching GCW was the commentary and the language. And it fits, but it's like, but it's like, you know, it's kind of jarring, you know, when you're hearing, you know, a mother F-bomb being (laughs) dropped during commentary. And it was so funny listening to you last night because you are that quintessential you know, pro wrestling play by play announcer and that even in even in the pre-show, which I I, we didn't even get into the pre-show. I thought the pre-show was really good last night. Like the language, you know, how jarring was that for you or was it fun? Like, how did it feel being in the booth with just a different type of language being used?
3: Well, yeah, it's, it's mostly Kevin Gill who who is is the uh, perpetrator of the language, uh, and I've worked with Kevin a bunch. His enthusiasm for the product is second to none. He gives yep. a great energy. He loves GCW with every fiber of his being, and it comes out in in the language of another guy from Queens, right? He's from the neighborhood, um, and he talks the way he talks. Um, and a lot of people, you know, get into that because you know they talk the way regular people talk. That's not me and how i do things and again different strokes for different folks i'm the always been the quintessential straight man and play by play but last night i even and and i literally tweeted as we were going off the air because i did drop an f-bomb on nick nick gage's entrance it's the only time in 18 years of doing this that i've ever cursed in a broadcast but like in that moment for nick because that's who he is it fit so i did it but then as soon and I didn't feel bad that I did it, but I like there's that side of me that's like, you've never done that before. And I don't know if it that was jarring to people who have heard me for so long that I immediately said, uh, sorry about that.
4: <laughs> Lenny, in the movie, I don't know if you remember this movie, School of Rock, uh, that, you know, when the kids go to rock and roll school. Um there's a line that says one great rock and roll show can change the world. Do you think that last night was the one great pro wrestling slash sports entertainment show that could change the world for GCW?
3: And I don't think anybody predicted what the last two years we're going to bring to folks, including GCW. And, and Brett had made mention of it in that, you know, two years ago, they were primed to hold what they thought was going to be the biggest indie show, you know, ever. They were they were going to try and get 4,000 people in a building and then COVID wiped it all out. And they basically had to kind of start from scratch again to get back to where they are now. But, you know, you're, you're seeing the fruits of all of their labor kind of come to fruition in that, you know, they're getting sellouts in LA, they're getting sellouts in Detroit, they're getting sellouts in Chicago, they sold out the Hammerstein. You're seeing that kind of, snowflake turning into a snowball. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know if last night was the home run that's going to take them to the next level, but I think it's going to at least set the stage for them to keep climbing that that ladder to get to where they want to get. Because they they are, and I'll say this too, uh, the folks running that company, Brent in particular, they are extremely committed to making this as big as they possibly can. And last night and this weekend showed they spared – no expense. I mean, that is the most expensive building outside of, you know, trying to run someplace like the Garden or the Barclays Center. You know, you're, you're not going to pay more to run any building than you are the Hammerstein in New York for an indie show, that's for that, sure.
4: That's the truth. Lenny, we've spent a lot of time talking about GCW this morning. There are probably fans out there in the Busted Open Nation who are not familiar with the product, who did not see the pay-per-view last night. You were there, front row, center, calling the action For somebody who is on the fence right now, thinking about, hey, maybe I want to check GCW out. Tell me about the match or the promo or the moment that you would hang your hat on as the most compelling and convincing um, moment in time and reason to watch this pay-per-view.
3: Nick Gage's entrance is something that, unless you've actually been in the building to experience it, there's not a hole like it It, it, it's it's the closest thing that you're going to get on an indie scene to the old sandman entrance and you know kind of cup it's the sandman entrance with the road warrior pop is kind of like how i i look at it and that like he literally has to fight his way to the ring to get to his match because he's just beloved by people and and you can see He doesn't fit the mold of a superstar in pro wrestling, but he's got that it factor that he connects with an audience unlike anybody I've seen on the indies in a very long time. It's really, really impressive to watch. Uh, And it doesn't matter what building he's in. If it's Atlantic City, New York, L.A., uh, it took him almost two minutes to get to the ring in L.A., for his fight against Minoru Suzuki and Suzuki just had to stand there and wait. Like you didn't know what was going on waiting for, for Gage to get to the ring. It took that long for him to get through this throng of people.
4: Lenny, I agree with you. I'd like to take it a step further and get your thoughts. Like you said that Gage, you know, he, the, the way the fans respond to him, how over he is, you said probably the most over guy on the Indies step further. I would, I would go into pro wrestling period. Because they, 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 it, it, to me, I, I like the Sandman reference for obvious reasons, but also it's like that punk rock feel, you know, where, where fans were allowed to jump on stage while the guys were playing. Think of CBGB's back in the day or any of the, you know, the underground, the Cro-Mags and Madball and all of these New York City hardcore bands. I'd go as far to say that Nick Gage has that type of emotional investment that every pro wrestler should aspire to have.
3: Yeah, and, and it's good to aspire to it, but I don't know how you produce it. It's because in Nick's case, it's really organic. Like it's, it, it's that quintessential it factor where you either have it or you don't. It's not something I think you can teach. You can't, you can't teach somebody how to connect with people. Like if you're in the performance, you could be in the performance center for 10 years. They're not going to be able to teach you how to get a crowd to react like that when you walk through the curtain, like you're born with that. And I think a lot of times in in the larger companies, yeah, you'll see guys get that pop when they come through the curtain, but it's almost like that Pavlov's dog pop in that. All right. That music hit. I know I'm supposed to be excited. So I'm going to make noise. Whereas when Nick's music hits, the crowd genuinely goes insane that he's coming out.
1: Lenny, you've called a lot of big events, a lot of big matches, a lot of big shows. Where do you rank last night on your list of your accomplishments? It,
3: it was it was really special just to be a part of it. And I know I'm, I'm lucky that I'm kind of coming in and jumping on a train that's been, you know, rolling down the tracks for a few years. Brett and I have been trying to, you know, find a way to make stuff work around my, you know, my shoot job schedule, which is pretty hectic, uh, as you of all people know. But, <laughs> um, so you know it's been a challenge for me to do more i'd like to do more with him if i could because i have a ball at every show um but this one you know the the, the evolved wwe network special is always going to probably be like the crowning jewel for me just because it's something that no one had ever done before and it's never going to be done again in that i call the live three-hour show on the wwe network by myself uh, and that's never going to be duplicated ever, um, and especially not for an indie group too, right? We've seen that they've made that shift away from kind of doing indie business. So I know that's something that's never going to get replicated. So I'll, I'll that one's always going to be up there. The first Ring of Honor pay per view was a big deal. That one's always going to be up there. And then this one's right there with all of them. Like those three are probably like you know one A, one B, one C. You can kind of whatever day you're going to catch me on, that'll be the one that probably is at the top for now. And hopefully there's more, right? I I don't, I'm not done yet. Thank goodness.
1: And, 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 and listening to you last night and watching last night to see, I mean, Lenny, you know, I, I I remember seeing homicide and Moxley in front of 50 people at the ACE arena in Union, New Jersey. Uh, what in the back of my mind, wondering if my car was still going to be there when, when, (laughs) when when I left Ah. the building, um, You know, to see those two in action again last night, I mean, it it kind of, you know, the hair stands up on your arm. You know what I mean?
3: Yeah, super special for me. Obviously, so much of the great stuff I've done has been around those two guys. And getting a chance to do stuff with Mox again has really been great for me just because I didn't get to call his last match in Dragon Gate. I had family commitments for the first time and I couldn't remember how long and I had been scheduled out of town, uh, before that show happened. So I was didn't the, call was, his last,
1: was that the show at BB Kings?
3: Yeah. His last one, I wasn't there for it. Wow. It was Rob Naylor and, uh, he called it instead. So, and then when he went to WWE, I'm like, well, that's it. I'm never going to get to call another mox match. And then, you know, by happenstance, he ended up in GCW and Brett wanted me to do some stuff. So I was able to reconnect with him and, Uh it it was great and and homicide. I I called him winning and I mentioned it during the match with Mox. It was 15 years ago in the same building in the other room that he beat Brian Danielson to win a world title. And it was cool to kind of bring that all full circle, especially in light of John's, you know, recent struggles that have been, you know, well documented. And uh, you know, I was just so happy to see him. He looked like a million bucks. He was healthy, he's happy, he's got a beautiful wife and a great, gorgeous daughter. Uh, that he was happily showing pictures of. So it was, it was really special for me personally, you know, not John Moxley, the wrestler, but my friend, Jonathan good seeing him, you know, in such a good place.
4: Lenny, I, obviously there was, uh, you had mentioned earlier about some of the matches may have run a little long, which might've taken away from the last match. Did it also affect Mox and homicide?
3: Uh, No, I think they were probably right about where they were supposed to be. I didn't, I didn't have it timed out while I was watching it, but uh, I I don't, I don't think they got rushed too much. I think it was really more the last match than, than anything. Um, Like we even were cutting out like all those video packages that they played, they originally had me like pitching to all of those packages with, you know, I had verbiage that I had written out that I was going to throw to kind of set the stage. So we had to cut that out there was going to be like a minute segment of us talking about the hall of fame with some video behind it. We had to cut that out. So we tried to shave, you know, as much as we could, where we could, while we were kind of, you know, on the fly. Um, but I think it was really just more the the tag match that kind of felt the brunt of it, unfortunately.
1: And uh, cool seeing Thunder Rosa to kick off. I wasn't expecting to see her last night.
3: No, when I, when she got to the building, I was super excited because it's been a while since, since we've kind of uh, been able to catch up with each other. And i tell you what, that crowd wanted her or Lefisto to win that battle royal badly. They really wanted it, and and I and I know they had like the really cool moment with Big Van planned, where he's kind of getting his his flowers at the end, and that's a great moment. But had uh, had they changed on the fly that finish for one of the ladies winning that match, they would have blown the roof off the building.
4: I mean, feel- what oh. what homegrown GCW guy stood out to you the most last night? Other than Nick Gage.
3: Oh, homegrown.
4: I, you know, I was really happy for
3: Allie. Um, Allie's been, and she mentioned it in her promo in, in the Midwest a, couple, a week or so ago, in that she spent the first few years of her career kind of hiding behind the whiskers and the meow and doing the Allie Cat character stuff because she didn't think anybody was going to accept her uh, for who she was. And, and I thought it was really cool um, that she was able to kind of put on this match that she could be proud of, that Ruby was proud of, uh, and kind of show that, you know, she can get out there and hang with uh, the very best of them. So that, I, I was really happy for Allie. Um, I was most, actually, I like to say who I'm most disappointed for, rather than even more happy, because I thought everybody did a really good job. But I was really disappointed for Nick Wayne. Um Nick, Nick Wayne's the young guy from the Pacific Northwest, who uh, is a, a star waiting to break out uh, on the big, on the big scale soon. Um, But he is unfortunately a little too young to work (laughs) in New York and, and he wasn't able to wrestle uh, because of the, you know, commission rules. And it was really disappointing uh, that he wasn't able to kind of have that moment because I think he's a guy that he, You don't like to throw the word word prodigy around too often. Um, But like we've seen with somebody like Roxy uh, in Ring of Honor winning winning the women's tournament there at such a young age, 19, 20, and how advanced she is. This kid is all that. He is really, really good. And and he's going to be a guy you need to watch down the line.
1: Lenny, love you. Thanks so much for the time this morning. We
4: really appreciate it.
3: Hey everybody, this is Lindsey Rhodes, and with the NFL playoffs underway, what better time than now to check out my podcast, the NFL Roadshow. We're going to break down the biggest games, key players, every angle in between, with guests that go past the low-hanging fruit and get to what you really need to know. We'll have new episodes every Monday and Thursday, all the way through Super Bowl 56 in my hometown of Los Angeles, so please subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts or listen on the SXM app, included with most subscriptions.
1: Head to Factormeals.com slash Busted50 and use code Busted50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code Busted50 at Factormeals.com slash Busted50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Sam Roberts, one of my all-time favorite people, is the definition of a trooper. So Sam, you've been to a lot of events. You've been to a lot of events in that building uh, tell us about the vibe last night for GCW.
2: Well, I've been uh, a GCW fan for a while. I've been I've been taking the trip down to Atlantic City and sneaking in. COVID helps because you you put the mask on, you put a hat on. Nobody knows WWE's Sam Roberts. It's just it's just you know pretending to be a a, a typical average wrestling fan trying to find the best I can possibly find. But yeah, I mean I love that venue. The first show I ever saw at the Hammerstein was the ECW tag team title tournament, uh, you know, towards the end of the run of ECW. And then I was there for Massacre on 34th street. And then I was there for the last pay-per-view, which I think was guilty as charged. Uh, and then since then uh, I've, I've been there for a ton of ring of honor shows. Uh, I wasn't there for one night stand, but I did get to see Bully Ray working the upstairs room when impact was at the Manhattan center. So I've been there for that. And I mean, there was no way, like as soon as tickets went on sale, I went on, I didn't text anybody. I didn't try to use, I bought tickets because I wanted to just as a fan be a part of something that I thought was so significant for wrestling, which is this company that has no corporate backing whatsoever, has no financiers behind it. Just, just, a group of guys or a group of people who want to put on great wrestling shows for wrestling fans. And it's like, as a wrestling fan, if that's not something you can support, I don't know what you're looking for.
4: And it's for that very reason, Sam, that I was telling Dave earlier on, I actually purchased the pay-per-view last night. And I'm not like, I haven't seen a lot of GCW, but the fact that this has been such a, a DIY type of project that is very ECW reminiscent for me. I was like, sure, you can have my twenty-five dollars and an opportunity to, to, you know, to to earn me as a fan. And I, you know, listen, do I agree with a lot of stuff that went on in the ring? Absolutely not. Everybody knows how I feel about certain aspects of wrestling, but I'll be damned if that was not an entertaining show that their fan base loved with tons of energy. And I, the way they went off the air, to me was. As good as, maybe even better, maybe, than the Sandman's entrance. Because I think it was the different camera shot, which I don't know if you've seen yet, from the Hammerstein of getting Nick Gage in the ring with everybody, going MDK, and the entire uh, Hammerstein, you uh, you know, chanting along with him. And when you can capture those kind of moments, it says a lot. And GCW, you wouldn't ex- like, if somebody would have said to me, if you were Dave would have said, Hey, GCW is going to capture such moments. It's going to be reminiscent of one night stand. I'd be like, ah, eh, I don't think they can pull it off, but they sure as hell did. Yeah. And I think that that's the part that, that people don't quite grasp
2: until they see GCW is not. And it's, it is like ECW, like before ECW was a well-known there was a lot of naysayers and a lot of prejudice and a lot of people who thought ECW was a goofy blood and guts, you know, ridiculous, nonsense wrestling promotion. And it was like those of us who were sitting there watching it were aware of what it was. And it was, it was, it was about getting eyes on the product because once you got eyes on it, people went, Oh, this is something different. And the, the connection that GCW has with their audience, like that moment with Nick Gage is created because at, at a GCW show, whether it's at the Hammerstein, whether it's Atlantic City, whether it's Los Angeles, like if you're in that building, Nick Gage is Hulk Hogan. Nick Gage is as big a star. Like I was talking to people on my, that listen to my wrestling podcast going like, oh, if it's the main event, this has to be FTR coming out, right? This like, And it's like, no, no, FTR in that building, in any other building, FTR could main event any show, of course, but in that building, If it's not, there's no star in the world bigger than Nick Gage. But but I think if you go down that show, it's like Joey Janela is a hero to the GCW audience. You heard when Ally Catch came to the ring, you heard how people cheered for her. People booed Ruby Soho, who's one of the most popular female wrestlers in the world because they love Ally Catch so much. Effie's entrance. is maybe the best thing in wrestling. When you have a bunch of people who, when you look at them, maybe you'd think they're stereotypical wrestling fans, indie wrestling fans, it's guys in their black t-shirts that are there, and yeah, they're going to scream for the death matches, and yeah, they're going to scream for the light tubes, but when Effie comes out in his pink leather jacket, and he's got the entire audience, that audience, singing Goodbye, Yellow Brick Road by Elton John. That's literally never happened in wrestling before. And it's, really? it's so amazing to see that connection. And I'm, I'm, I'm so glad how many more people got to see that watching the show last night.
1: It's so funny because I always, and I even mentioned it to him the last time we had him on the show, like, you know, Brian Danielson was able to make the color maroon and, and Europe final countdown cool like you know like gcw you know goodbye yellow brick road and journey separate ways you know (laughs) you know you got all these guys in their 20s and 30s with black t-shirts on you know uh singing uh separate ways by journey and it is like a movement it is reminiscent of you know of ecw it is reminiscent of you know early ring of honor that's like the vibe that I got from, and I wasn't there, I was watching on TV, and it made me wish that I was there last night.
2: And when people make comparisons to other organizations, whether it's ECW, whether it's early Ring of Honor, whatever it is, it's like, I feel like, and, and you know, Bully, you know better than anybody, like after ECW went away, a lot of promotions tried to fill that void, and a lot of promotions tried to be the next ECW. But what they were doing was they were trying to copy what was on screen and they were trying to copy the style and they were trying, and they would take little elements and focus on that. And they just wouldn't, they wouldn't get it because ECW wasn't one thing. It was, there, there was so much to it. And I think that the reason that comparison is coming up for GCW is because GCW does, they capture that feeling again. It's not about, Copying anything that was on screen, or copying a style, or copying a character—it's about finding something that gives you that that feeling that you got when you were sitting there in the Elks Lodge yeah. or or at the Hammerstein Ballroom at the end of ECW's run. That's that's the that you get that feeling again when you watch GCW shows, and I, I think that's for me what the appeal is.
4: Sam, you being a, a diehard GCW fan did you feel like the no light tubes, the lack of light tubes, the lack of tables, the light, the lack of blood and guts took away from the show last night? Because I did not. No, I, not only did I not, I, I think it might've actually
2: helped. I mean, I think that, I think that, I love Deathmatch wrestling, but I think that there's a lot of people that have a, that don't and have a prejudice and immediately get turned off by it. Like the minute you hear there's light tubes or barbed wire You're like, garbage wrestling, I don't want any part of it. I don't want to be around it. And I think two things happen. Number one, when you take that element out, because GCW does so many things and and ultimately does what every wrestling promotion should do, which is tell stories, they're still able to tell those stories and to get those reactions without that stuff. So you don't have that criticism, no matter how good that show was. If there were light tubes and barbed wire on that show, today, there would be some people going ah, it's deathmatch, nonsense, barbed wire, light tube. So you don't have that, which is good. And I think also showing the world, even those of us that like it going, well, we don't have to do this, we choose to do this. And the evidence is that we didn't do it at the pay-per-view and everybody loved that show. I think that those two, for that first giant pay-per-view offering, I think that those two outweigh any benefit that having light tubes and barbed wire would have, would have added.
1: A lot of familiar names on that show. And one of the matches that I talked about with Lenny, with bully is, you know, homicide and Moxley, Uh, you know, having seen their story uh, with evolve and with dragon gate, you know, God, that's, you know, over 15 years ago, and then to be able to see them in a main event match on the show, sold out at the Hammerstein Ballroom, where Moxley is a mainstream superstar, a uh, pretty special match last night on that show.
2: I mean, I loved it. I loved that that was the title match. I, I'm such a fan of Homicide. I think Homicide represents a whole class of legends that don't get appreciated enough because Agreed. they never had that. Yeah, they never had that mainstream. Television exposure, but if you ask around, I mean, they're as if not more influential to the people that are doing it now than anybody else. I mean, Homicide is like a legend upon a legend upon a legend, and Mox. Seeing what what I seeing what Mox has developed into in terms of just every time you think he's reached his peak of stardom, he goes further and becomes an even bigger star and and gets better. He can work literally anywhere in the world and be in the main event and he chooses to wear GCW colors. He doesn't just show up for the show. He was wearing the GCW t-shirt at the show. He's gone on AEW with a GCW hoodie on. Like this like like he as somebody who lives and breathes this the same way we all do m- mocks I think understood the importance of the event. And I think that translated through the match. Um,
1: Yeah. And Bully and I were talking about it in regards to Moxley. Think about the last week. And it's not even been a full week. Comes back on Dynamite on Wednesday. Cuts that promo that he's back. Uh, Friday on SmackDown, Rollins drops his name on SmackDown in that promo with Roman Reigns. You know, Friday night on Rampage, he's wrestling on Rampage. You know, uh, wrestling Ethan Page. Saturday, Bully and I were a part of a show for Northeast Wrestling at the Mid-Hudson Civic Center, sold out. And he's in the opening contest. And then on Friday, he's with GCW. I mean, Sunday, he's with GCW at a sold-out Hammerstein Ballroom. Think about that. This guy was, you know, gone, comes back. Could you think of a better way for a guy like Moxley to come back where, yes, he's he's doing AEW, but he's also doing a Northeast Wrestling show and then doing a show... At GCW is wrestling homicide of all people. I mean, I, I don't think you can, you could write out a perfect way for Moxley to come back.
2: No. And as fans, we, as uh, we are, I think attracted to performers who we feel share our passion. Like we want to know that our love for professional wrestling is not in vain or is not, you know, dumb. And when we, see performers like moxley who clearly love this the way we love this he doesn't have to do all these shows he doesn't have to be a part he did like his weekend doesn't have to look like what you just lined up but he does it because he loves it so much because how how do you not do this how do you not main event the hammerstein with homicide how do you not show up in poughkeepsie and do that show how do you not show up to aew like that's how we as fans would react so the idea that 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 brain is in the head of John Moxley, I think makes him even more of a legend.
4: And in listening to your description of Moxley and the amount of, you know, props that he gives to GCW wearing the hoodie. The first thing that just popped into my mind is, is it almost sounds like Mox is more important to GCW than he could be to AEW. Although I'm not asking about it to sides, just that based on the way you presented, it's like, this guy might be worth more to this up and coming company than it is to AEW right now. And it's kind of what I talked about with punk years ago. If punk would have ever came back, this is before AEW was around. I would have liked to have seen to gone back to ring of honor because it would have went meant more for the wrestling business for punk to go back to ring of honor and breathe life into the company. He was at first than to just go back to the WWE, which would have been an easy choice and decision.
2: Yeah. And I mean, who knows? You know, you heard Mox's promo when he was talking about being free, and that's something that is has rang true ever since he left WWE. He's talked about his freedom, and and I think that that's a legitimate thing. I don't think that's a wrestling character. I think that he values that freedom, and he wants to do this because he loves it. And I think that that GCW is a is a is a passion factory. You know, I'm sure you felt the same way, bully, and ECW. It's just it's just guys that love what they're doing. So the fact that, that Mox is, has has been to the top and is still on the top with AEW. I mean that's that's still corporate wrestling and is is stepping down to go like, yeah, but I'm gonna stay here where we're just bleeding passion every night is is awesome.
1: And I and I said this last week. I think uh Mox is kind of the face of AEW and and Mark interrupted me and he said, No, I think he's the spirit of AEW because I think that fan base can relate to somebody like john moxley sam awesome thank you so much for rushing home and jumping on with us i appreciate you man thank you so much busted open is part of the sirius xm sports podcast network the producer is gabby Laspiza. the associate producer is andre viola sound design by mary balon special thanks the Serious XM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, the legendary Steve Cohen, and Serious XM Fight Nation Program Director, Mother Marissa, Marissa Rivas. Serious XM Podcasts.
3: Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest,
0: but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh,